Hello, my name is Steve Brown, and I'm the worship leader at Vintage Faith Church. At Vintage Faith, we believe the Word of God is what changes and transforms a person. We hope you enjoy the next 30 to 40 minute sermon of the Word of God being proclaimed and explained. Enjoy the message. Okay, Vintage Faith, good morning. Look at all these holy faces. We're using the book of Matthew this morning to help us with our text in 1 Peter. So the scripture is Matthew chapter 21, 33 to 46. 21, 33 to 46. I got to find it. Hold on. Okay. Here, another parable. There was a master of a house who planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. When the season for fruit drew near, he sent his servants to, to the tenants to get his fruit. And the tenants took his servants and beat one, killed another, and stoned another. Again, he sent other servants, more than the first, and they did the same to them. Finally, he sent his son to them, saying, they will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and have his inheritance. And they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. When therefore the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? They said to him, he will put those wretches to a miserable death and let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the fruits in their seasons. Jesus said to them, have you never read in the scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone this was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. And the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they perceived that he was speaking about them. And although they were seeking to arrest him, they feared the crowds because they held him to be a prophet. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning as a church, as a body of believers that you have providentially placed together this time, this place. Lord, it is no accident that you've put us all together as a family in this church. God, we we ask that you comfort those who need it. Challenge those who need to be challenged. We pray that your Holy Spirit come down as your word is spoken and, and preached and work in the hearts of your people. Lord, we pray that Jesus can be exalted as the cornerstone. Show us as a body, as a church, what that means, why that is good news. 
Lord, we pray that you speak to us this morning as a church. Speak to Vintage Faith Church by your Holy Spirit, through your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, well, good morning. We are continuing in our series in, in 1 Peter. Um, but before we get into our text this morning, I want to tell a story from the book of Acts. Peter and John were heading to the temple to pray. This is after the death and resurrection of Jesus. It, it, it was probably weeks after. So we're, we're talking about very quickly after the resurrection and the ascension. And they're walking to the temple to pray. And at this point, Christians were, were only Jews. And they still were going to the temple because they just saw Christianity as the logical fulfillment of Judaism, which it is, of course. And they pass a man who, who couldn't walk, and the man was asking for, for alms, for money, but they healed him. But the authorities didn't like this because they were healing in the name of of Jesus. In fact, it, it was the same men that were prominent in the trial of, of Christ, Caiaphas and, and Annas, who were now questioning Peter and John. And they were saying, by, by what name did you do this? By what power did you do this? And Peter responds in Acts 4, Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no name, no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So for Peter, this idea of Christ as the, the stone, the, the cornerstone, as you heard Evan read, Jesus talking about the cornerstone. For Peter, this is a big idea. He, he preaches it in Acts, and we're going to see in a moment in 1 Peter in our text today, he's going to really rely heavily on this imagery of the cornerstone. But what, before we get into this, what is a, a cornerstone? A, a cornerstone simply is the stone that literally when you're building the rest of the structure is going to take its cues from this stone. That stone has to be perfect, and it is set in such a way that all the other stones will be built off from it. It is the most valuable stone in a building. So remember what, where we are in, in 1 Peter to, to kind of take you back to the context. Peter is consoling 
and encouraging and teaching these Christians who are exiles in their own homeland. They're being treated um, as strangers, foreigners. They're being rejected. They're despised. Today, when we look at this text, no doubt Peter's thinking back to to his time with Christ and, and the story that Evan just read. No doubt he has that on his mind and his heart as he tries to encourage these believers. But the question we have to ask ourselves this morning when we look at this text from 1 Peter is why? In this context, why is Peter going here? Why is he going to this rejected cornerstone to encourage a people who are being rejected? So our text today, 1 Peter 2, 4 to 8, I'm going to read it all, and then we're going to take it verse by verse. But let's read it all first. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. So that's our text today. We're going to look at that verse by verse. But for for the note takers, just a quick, um, if you want to reference this, I'm not going to get into it now, but verse 6 is coming from Isaiah 28, 16. Verse 7 is coming from Psalm 118, 22. And verse 8 is coming from Isaiah 8, 14. So, so this idea of a cornerstone, a rejected cornerstone, is, is in Scripture. And they're all messianic prophecies, Isaiah and the Psalms. They're, they're all speaking of when the Messiah comes, this cornerstone, this stone that is going to be rejected. But again, we have to ask ourselves, why is Peter talking about this when he's trying to encourage Christians who are being despised and and rejected? Why is he talking about this cornerstone? All right, let's take it verse by verse. 1 Peter 2.4. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen, and precious as you come to him. So if you know Jesus, if you're in here and you call Christ your Lord and your Savior, you have come to him. At some point in your life, you have come to him. You might not remember when that happened. It may have been when you were a little boy, little girl, But at some point, you had a faith that you placed in Jesus that was a a saving faith. It was more than just 
a confession. There was a heart change. You surrendered. You, you stopped looking at the, the, the cold glass of water in front of you and you stopped philosophizing about, hey, should I drink that? Will it be good for me? I don't know. I don't know if I want it. And you actually just trusted, picked up, and drank. You came to Christ. There was a trust. As you come to him, a living stone. But we also continue to come to him when we read this text. It's, it's a continuous verb. It's not something that is only in the past. As you come to him. If you know Jesus, you come to him often. You speak to him. He speaks to you through his word. You lay your burdens down in front of him. It's sweet. And we get to do this as believers. Spurgeon talks about this idea of, of coming to, to Christ. And he, he kind of contrasts the, the initial coming with the continual coming. And he says this, And you continue to come to him. And I may say, too, that it is a coming of a dearer sort. For there is more love in your coming now than there used to be. At first, it was not so much loving Christ as venturing to trust him. But now we know him to be the best of friends. come in our private devotion. We tell him our troubles. We unburden our hearts and get his love shed abroad in our hearts in return. And we go away with a joy that makes our heart leap within us. Do you know that kind of coming to Christ? Do you continue to come to him? So often, I think in our own lives, it's so easy when we get burdened to go anywhere but Christ. Right? When your heart is hurting, when you're in a, in a, in a trial, go to food, go to stuff that feels good, lust, go to friends, although that, that can be good. But we can tend to go anywhere but Jesus. And what Spurgeon is kind of unpacking is, is what Peter is unpacking. As you come to him, we're always coming to Christ. We're always continually coming to Christ. And one day, in its finality, we will come to Christ and meet him. And faith will be sight. So there's three, kind of, when, when you read this, as you come to him, think about you have come, you are coming, and you will come. Finally, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. Jesus Christ, for the most part, 
has been and was rejected by men. Still today, he's, he's rejected by men. In fact, he's despised and rejected so much that many people have created a false Christ, somebody that he isn't, that isn't him. In fact, we have the teaching Christ, the great moral teacher that many people will say, oh yeah, I believe in Jesus, but he, he wasn't God. He was, a, he was a moral teacher. And then we have, which is very popular in our culture today, the affirming Jesus of all things. So the, the kind of the hippie Jesus, like, hey, he's, he's only, only love and he's never going to press you on your sin. He's never going to really speak truth in a, in, a, in a strong way. And this is the, the kind of the Jesus of our culture. And then many religions will say, hey, he's a, he's a prophet. And make no mistake about it, this is despising and rejecting the, the real Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible. These are idols. These are false Christs that the culture around us has set up. In fact, the, the famous C.S. Lewis quote, he's talking about this idea, and he said, you must make your choice. Either this man, Jesus, was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any of this patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. So one of the ways that Jesus is despised and rejected by men is just, hey, he existed, but he's not the Jesus of the Bible. He's, he's going to be the Jesus that I make him. So we come to him as we are, nothing but our sin and our weariness. That's all we bring to the table, and we come to him as he is, the Jesus of the Bible, the God of the Bible, Yahweh, the great I am the real Jesus, as you come to him, the living stone. All right, Peter goes on, and he's going to kind of shift directions here a bit. He says, you yourselves like living stones, but okay, so because Jesus is the living stone, we are now like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Living stones. So this is, Peter is kind of bringing in this idea of the temple. Jesus is the cornerstone, and all who come to him are living stones, creating a spiritual house. In the Old Testament, the temple was the center of Jewish life. It is where God manifested his glory in a special way. It is where sacrifices were done. It was where the law was unpacked and read, preached. The temple was the center of religious life in the Old Testament. This is why when the, the Jewish people were in exile, it was one of the reasons it was so bad for them. They could not worship the way that God had prescribed them to worship. 
And in 70 AD, this temple was destroyed, fulfilling Jesus' words, his prophecy, because they rejected him, the temple was destroyed. And the temple still stands today, but Jews cannot worship in it. And that's because the temple was all pointing to Jesus. It was all pointing to, hey, the Messiah is coming. And God will now be accessed through the Messiah. And Peter is saying, hey, we're living stones. There's a spiritual house. The church is now in effect like the temple. Wherever God's people are worshiping, that is where God is in a very special way. Matt Merker in his, his book, Corporate Worship, says this. The New Testament makes clear that the congregation of Christians, this family, this body, this community, is the place where God is especially present in the world. In the days of the Old Covenant, the place where God manifested his special presence was the temple or Jerusalem. In the New Covenant, that special place is now wherever the Lord's house, that is, his people, is gathered. So when you think about what's happening here on Sunday, Peter is saying, you're living stones, and and Jesus is the cornerstone. The whole reason we're here is because of Jesus, and we're built into this spiritual temple. We're hearing the word read, the word preached, the singing of the word the Lord's Supper, baptism, prayer, fellowship. These are all prescribed ways to worship God. Just like in the Old Testament, he prescribes certain ways in the temple how to approach him. He still does that today. We are the house of God. Have you ever thought, why why do I like coming to church? You ever thought, like, hey, maybe it's the music, maybe it's the preaching, maybe it's seeing my friends, maybe I like to serve, and all that stuff is, is valid. But I would submit to you the real reason that you like being here is because God manifests his glory in a certain way, just like he did in the temple, now when we are all gathered and the word is preached, and the the word is sung, and the Lord's Supper is taken. God is here in, in a special way. The Puritans used to call this a means of grace. This is not that God can be accessed and you have a relationship with him outside of church, but there's something special in the gathering that happens. God's spirit works among his people in a very special way. Peter goes on, he says, we're a a holy priesthood. We're going to concentrate on that next week. I'm not going to spend time on it today. Offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So just a a few things, these spiritual sacrifices. Again, if you're a note taker, Philippians 4.18, our money can be a spiritual sacrifice. Pleasing and acceptable to God. Our money for the work of the kingdom. Our praise, when we sing, that's a a spiritual sacrifice. Hebrews 13, uh, 13, 15, the fruit of the lips that acknowledge his name. 
And in Romans 12, 1 to 2, our entire beings are a living spiritual sacrifice, the renewing of our minds, which happens here um, and throughout the week as we read our Bibles. A holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So he goes on. For it stands in Scripture, so Peter's going to, again, he's going to pivot here. Thoughts. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Okay, so here we have Peter quoting the Old Testament, and he's picking up on this cornerstone theme. And he's saying, whoever believes in in this stone will not be put to shame. And remember that that's what these Christians are experiencing at this moment that he's writing this letter. They're experiencing shame. They're being despised and mocked. They have no honor in their culture for what they believe. And we're not in much of a different situation today. And if you haven't experienced this, just give it time. You will. Psalm 89.50 says, Remember, O Lord, how your servants are mocked and how I bear in my heart the insults of all the many nations. This is nothing new. God's people have been shamed and mocked since the beginning of time. In 2017, you you may remember, there was an exchange between Senator Bernie Sanders and the potential deputy White House budget director, Russell Vaught. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right. And Russell wrote, when he was at Wheaton College, which is a Christian school, he he wrote some kind of piece defending the only way to know Jesus, or the only way to to have salvation is through Jesus, which Christians have believed since Christianity existed. And he wrote this piece at, at Wheaton College, and in 2017, ended up, as he was interviewing for this job, being questioned. And he was being questioned by by Bernie Sanders. And some of you may have heard the transaction, but I'll read a little bit of it. Because what Vought was saying was, hey, Muslims do not worship the same God that Christians worship. It is a different God. You can only know God and come to peace with God through Jesus Christ. The Jesus who Jesus says he is. Not the Jesus that you say he is. And Sanders says this, I don't know how many Muslims there are in America, maybe a couple million. Are you suggesting that all those people stand condemned? What about Jews? And Vought very respectfully says, Senator, I'm a Christian. And Sanders responds, he's, he's angry now. He says, I, don't, I understand you're a Christian, but this country is made up of people who are not. 
just, I understand that Christianity is the major religion, but there are other people of different religions in this country and around the world. In your judgment, do you think that people who are not Christians are going to be condemned? He's pressing him very hard. He's shaming him, if you watch the video. Vaught responds, thank you for probing on that question. As a Christian, I believe that all individuals are made in the image of God and worthy of dignity and respect, regardless of their religious beliefs. So he's clarifying. This is a doctrine that we should know as Christians. Like, all people are made in the image of God. They all have dignity and worth. That is a doctrine that today in this world is needed. People are treating each other like animals and, and just based on opinions. And I, I think his, his answer here is, is great. I believe that as a Christian, that's how I should treat all individuals, Vought says and Sanders replies. You think your statement that you put into that publication, so now he's talking about this article, they do not know God because they rejected Jesus Christ, his son, and they stand condemned. Do you think that's respectful to other religions? Vought response. Senator, I wrote a post based on being a Christian and attending a Christian school that has a statement of faith that speaks clearly in regard to the centrality of Jesus Christ in salvation. So Vought responds and just, hey, I'm just saying what Christians have said for 2,000 years. And Sanders replies, Mr. Chairman, this nominee is really not someone who this country is supposed to be about. And then he goes on to call him hateful and Islamophobic. Have you found yourself in a conversation like that? If you haven't, you will. It's coming. It's coming. Maybe it won't be about salvation being through Jesus Christ, but it could be about the Bible and why we trust the Bible, or marriage, why we believe marriage is between a man and a woman, or gender. And if you've been in a conversation like that, you know the tactic of the other side is going to be to press you and make you feel shame for believing what you believe. This is nothing new. Take heart. God's people have been mocked since the beginning of time. But again, we need to decide as a church, where do we stand? Do we stand firm in love? Or do we relieve that tension and maybe just not talk about that? Maybe give in a little here? That's the choice the church has before it. All churches across the globe. This is not just the United States of America thing. This is all across the globe right now. Peter says, those who believe in him will not be put to shame. He is addressing exactly that. They were feeling shame for what they believed, and he's saying, no, no, no. If you come to the living stone, you will not be put to shame. You will not be put to shame. He goes on in, in verse 7. Again, he's talking about honor. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. 
in a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. So again, to put this in the context of where we are in, in 1 Peter, he's talking about honor. The honor is for you who believe. Why is he telling them this? Because they don't feel honored. They're not being honored. But he's comforting them here and they're saying, no, you have the honor. It is for you. For all those out there mocking you because of what you believe, it's not going to go well for them. In the end, you will be honored. And in the end, you will be honored because Christ will receive the honor due him. And if you are in Christ, you will be honored as well. The builders have rejected the cornerstone. And this stone will cause people to stumble and fall. Why is Christ a stone that causes people to stumble and fall. We have to ask that. At some point, everyone in this room has, has wrestled with Jesus. If you truly, honestly, have come to terms with the Jesus of the Bible, you have wrestled with the stone. You have stumbled on the stone. We all have, at some point in our life, and I've got four reasons here why I think people stumble and fall over the cornerstone. Number one, the Jesus in the Bible, not the Jesus that's created out there in the culture, the Jesus of the Bible demands all of you, all of you. See, often we want a neat and tidy Jesus that we can manage. But the Jesus of the Bible is wild. And when we place our faith in him, we're, we're off for in a ride somewhere. Jesus says things like this in Matthew 10, whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. That's calling all of you, that's calling you to give your life over, your comforts, your desires. That's the first reason why I think people stumble over Jesus. The second is Jesus in the Bible bids us to come as needy sinners in need of a Savior. Needy sinners in need of a Savior in Mark chapter 2. And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. So to come to Christ, you must admit that you're needy and that you're a sinner and that you can't save yourself. This is a stumbling block to the world. Because the world... See, success and victory is God's blessing if they believe in a God. If, 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 if things are going well, then God's hand is upon you. But the Bible says we come with one thing to Jesus, and that's our sin. The third reason, and maybe the biggest reason that Jesus is a stumbling block 
is that the Jesus in the Bible calls us to repent. Luke 13, 3, this is, these are the words of Christ. He says, no, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And again, this, this doesn't square with the, the, the Jesus that you're going to see on TV or the, the Jesus that maybe some of your friends claim to, to worship. This is a Jesus that says, go and sin no more, repent. And we don't like that. We don't like that. And the last reason, as we saw in the bit of the transcript in the Sanders interview that, that I read, and as Peter preached in Acts 4, there's salvation in no one else. There's no name, other name, under heaven, given among men by which we must be saved. There's no other name. There's no other way to know God, to have peace with God, to have peace in your soul. All the other philosophies and all the other religions are going to try. They're going to have bits of truth, but they take the Jesus of the Bible and they move him over here. And they say, you can get to God without him. And you can't. And people stumble over that. And maybe you're in here and you're stumbling over that right now. Just think of it as there's a beautiful feast on a table. And you may be looking at that food and you're looking at it and you're, you're, you're in your head, well, is it, I don't know if that's going to taste good and I don't know if I even need food. I don't know if I want food. Can I get some other food over there? And this, this meal is just before you, and it's exquisite, and you've never eaten anything like it. I would say just, just trust, just eat. Stop philosophizing in your head. Stop working out as, you know, what, if I do this, if I do that, then this, I'll have to give up this. Just come to him. Just come to him. Taste and see he is good. He is good. But all of this imagery that Peter is, is talking about, about a, a cornerstone and a, and a rejected stone and a spiritual house, it all implies a theme that, that starts in the beginning of the Bible and works its way through the entire Bible. And that theme is this. There are Two building projects happening. The kingdom of God and the kingdom of man. There are two projects. In fact, if we think back to our Genesis series, if you can remember the Tower of Babel, they had, God had told them to, to fill the earth and, and subdue it. And for his glory, and what do we find in Genesis 11.4? All the people, they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. So I don't want to be dispersed like God told us to do. Let's come together. Let's build a tower and let's make our name great. And I would ask you this morning, and I ask myself this as well, 
Are you building your life on Christ? Or are you building your life on you or, or something else? We see here in, in Peter's words, the builders are just saying, nah, this cornerstone, I, I don't need it. It's of no use to me. I want to build my own kingdom for my own glory, for my own name. That's why the builders rejected Jesus. But Christ is the stone that the whole house of future humanity rests upon. He is the cornerstone. It is his glory or no glory at all. There's only one person worth building your life on, and that's Jesus Christ. Karen Jobes says this of the whole Peter imagery. The imagery of the living stones being built into a single unit implies that the significance and purpose of the individual Christian cannot be realized apart from community with other believers. Coming to Christ means coming into relationship with others, not only in one's own generation, but also with believers of every generation. The structure will be completed only when the scaffolding of human history comes down and the kingdom of Christ is revealed in all its glory. This is Revelation 21 language. The new Jerusalem will come down. The city of God will, will come down. All other kingdoms will be put to shame. In the book of Daniel, he talks about this idea here, the stone. And he says, in the days of those kings, the God of heaven <clears throat> will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. A great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain and its interpretation sure. God's kingdom in a sense is here, but it's coming in fullness. Jesus Christ is the, the cornerstone and we are living stones in that kingdom. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, Lord, we, we just thank you that you have shown to men and women the way to salvation. Lord, we thank you that you have caused men and women to be born again. <clears throat> Our hearts are stubborn and prideful and many times fixed on our own glory and our own name. But Lord, you have softened our hearts to love you. You have changed our hearts to desire you, the cornerstone, the one whom the whole building rests upon. 
And Lord, as we sing this last song, Cornerstone, help us to praise you. Help us to, to see that just the fruit of our lips of singing these songs is a spiritual sacrifice that you have ordained before the beginning of time. We thank you, Lord. And we praise you in your name. Amen. Hello, my name is Steve Brown, and I'm the worship leader at Vintage Faith Church. At Vintage Faith, we believe the word of God is what changes and transforms a person. We hope you enjoy the next 30 to 40 minute sermon of the word of God being proclaimed and explained. Enjoy the message.